Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Spine, and today is episode 117. It's titled The Retirement Journey. A few weeks ago, after attending a wedding in Twin Falls, Idaho, LePro and I were checking into the hotel, and I noticed a bicycle in the rack outside the door. What piqued my interest was the rider had left his or her mini air pump attached to the bike, free for anyone to steal. I thought that that's really trusting. Now, this road bike was a Jamis satellite steel frame. It was outfitted with a Classics Brooks B17 brown leather saddle. That's the bike seat this Brooks has been making for over 100 years. And it's the exact seat I would read about in Bicycle Magazine growing up, and I lusted after as a teenager, but I couldn't afford. I thought it would make me ride faster. This bike could have come right out of the 1970s or 80s. It was a classic. The next morning, I was sitting in the hotel lobby trying to get some Wi-Fi. This has had to be the worst Wi-Fi, in-room Wi-Fi that I've had in years. And the lobby even wasn't that wasn't that great. So while I was down there working, the bike's owners came down to use the computer and prepare for his day's journey. We got to talking. His name was Oluteo Ayodehi. He is riding across the country, started in Olympia, Washington at the beginning of July, and he's heading to the Virginia coast as a memorial to his 16-year-old son, Sule, who took his own life a year ago. Oluteo told me how he knew nothing about depression when the school nurse called him several years back to say his son had broken down and was in her office. They worked with psychologists to try to find the right mix of counseling and medicine to manage the illness. Things seemed to be improving. Oluteo told me how Sule had just gotten a job at Chipotle. He was preparing to attend the University of Maryland. He and his dad were planning a cross-country bicycle trip for the summer Sule graduated from high school. According to Oluteo's GoFundMe profile, Sule, Sule said he wanted to travel the country, going from town to town and meet new people. But the day came when Sule didn't show up for work. His sister and dad couldn't find him. Sule was really close to his sister. And, and they were panicked. They couldn't find him anywhere. Oluteo said the last time he had saw his son was earlier that day when his boy asked to borrow his cell phone. They later found a note. One year later, Oluteo is taking the bike trip he and his sons were planning. His son was planning. He bought that Jamis bicycle used at a swap meet for only $400. This is a low-budget adventure. There's no fancy gear. There's no shuttle to follow him in case his bike breaks down. Oluteo writes to Sule, I will meet those people for him, and I will tell them how intelligent, artistic, and insightful Sule was. This cross-country ride was intended for my buddy and I to see and explore the country together. So as I ride, I will carry Sule with me. I will deposit some of his ashes in the rivers I cross. The rivers will carry him to parts of the world he will not consciously explore, and he will never, and he will forever be part of the ecosystem." Oluteo also rides for the other teens who lost their lives to suicide, for their parents, and for the parents of teenagers who currently suffer depression. As he travels, Oluteo tries to spread awareness of teen depression. Finally, Oluteo says he rides for himself. Quote, I'm not riding 
for closure because there will be none. There will always be an opening in my heart where my son should be. If nothing else, I hope that this ride will provide me with the strength to carry on. As in life, I know my journey will be long and challenging. Along the way, I will face challenges and obstacles. I know there will be times when I want to give up, but I will forge ahead because my Sule and others could not. I will ride. In Oliterio's most recent Facebook post, he was in Kremlin, Colorado, elevation 7313. He's just about a third of the way across the country. In that post, he's, he wrote, we're making progress today despite the headwinds. Oliterio mentioned to me when he was in Idaho that he was still waiting for the tailwinds everyone said he would have if he rode from west to east. Apparently, he's still waiting. No, no, no tailwinds. What inspires me about Oluteo's 3,000-mile journey is his willingness to undertake it on a used road bike with faulty rims that have plagued him for much of the trip. Cycling just isn't much fun on wobbly wheels. Most cyclists on such a long ride cruise along on rims that cost two to three times what Oluteo paid for his entire bike. Now, I gave Oluteo at the time 20 bucks, and I told him to go have lunch. And I've since gone to his GoFundMe profile to help sponsor him. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well as his Facebook page if you, if you want to help support him on this, this memorable ride. But most of us don't have the desire or ambition to attempt a cross-country cycling trip. Yet there comes a day when we launch ourselves on a journey that can seem equally as perilous, where the unknowns are just as great and where we worry about our level of preparedness. It's called retirement. Some retirees begin their journey with seven-figure investment portfolio balances and lucrative pension plans. These are the retirees who cruise through their retirement on the equivalent of $5,000 custom road bikes with titanium frames and carbon Forks. Most retirees, though, get by on much less. The equivalent of Oluteo's used JMS steel frame bike with wheels that won't stay true. According to the 2015 Trans America Center for Retirement Studies, the median retirement savings for a retiree at the time of retirement is only $131,000. For couples, the median retirement savings balance at the time of retirement is 250000 If the average retired couple withdrew 4% of their starting $250,000 balance to live on in their first year of retirement, that's $12,500. And then if you, you tack on what the average U.S. retired couple receives in Social Security benefits, $26,544, combined, which, what they take out of the portfolio, Versus social, plus Social Security, you get 39000 per year for living expenses. Now, the 2014 Consumer Expenditure Survey, this is, this is a survey done every couple years by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They show the average retired household spends $42,715 per year. That includes $15,000 a year on housing-related costs. on transportation, including $1,700 on gasoline. 
$6,000 on healthcare cost, $5,400 on food, including $136 on sugars and sweets, $2,500 on charity, $2,300 on entertainment, including $440 on pets, and $4,700 on everything else. And that's including $158 on postage and stationery. I'll link to in the show notes the, the, the summary of that so you can take a look at that. It also has other, other categories. And, or if you remember my insider's guide, I will already have sent you those links along with a summary article of this week's episode. And you, and you can sign up for the free insider's guide by going to moneyfortherestofus.net, or if you're a US, U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. So that's what they spend, $42,715, the average retiree. And the average retiree income, including Social Security, investment earnings, and wages is around $39,500 per year based on that same study. Now, how does the average retired couple bridge the gap between what they spend annually and their Social Security benefits and investment earnings? Well, I just gave you the answer. They work. The average retiree household earns $7,700 annually from employment. Work on at least a part-time basis is how retirees particularly in today's world, will be able to afford retirement. According to the Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies, 58% of workers expect to retire after age 65, and 51% of workers plan to continue working in retirement. Let me tell you about another retiree. His name is Bill Bengen. He was born in Brooklyn in 1947. He graduated from MIT in the late 1960s with a BS in aeronautics and astronautics. Yeah, aeronautics and astronautics. He was a rocket scientist. He co-authored a book that was published by MIT in 1973. It was titled Topics in Advanced Model Rocketry. He wanted to work for NASA, but saw funding was, was being cut. So he joined his family's soft drink bottling franchise in the New York metropolitan area. And he worked there for 17 years. He was, a, was the chief operating officer when they sold the business in 1987. Then Bill moved to Southern California and he became a financial planner. He earned a master's in financial planning in 1993. And so he worked for about two decades as a financial planner and then sold his firm and retired in 2013, and now he's become one of the world's foremost authorities in collectors of non-sports cards. So non-sports card, playing cards, think superheroes, historical figures. There's an article on, on Bill where he mentions his favorite cards. He says, I would have to say one of my favorites is the 19, in the 1956 Davy Crockett Orange Series, which I've never heard of is the number one King of the Wild Frontier card. It has a great shot of Fess Parker leaning against a tree with Old Betsy. Is that the horse? Old, Bess- Old Betsy. Not- <laughs> I don't know much about Davy Crockett. We're going to go. I think Old Bess- Betsy's the horse. To me, that is the essence of Davy Crockett. I bet that's his gun. Old Betsy. Probably the gun. That series was an important part of my life when I was a kid. So that is certainly at the top for me. 
Now, I mentioned Bill Bengen because of his financial planning work. In 1994, in the Journal of Financial Planning, October, he wrote the definitive article where he introduced the subject of spending rates from retirement plans, your retirement nest egg, and sequence of return risk. The article was titled, Determining Withdrawal Rates Using Historical Data. And what he did is he took 30 year rolling historical periods. He's the first one that did this. And then he calculated a maximum sustainable withdrawal rate. What, what's the maximum rate that you could spend and, and not run out of money? And over that 30, and he did rolling 30-year periods. And so he was calculating what he called a the safe max, S-A-F-E-M-A-X, which is Simply, it's the highest sustainable withdrawal rate for the worst case retirement scenario in the historical period. So the worst, every year you retire, let's say you retire this year, you're, you're, and you, you assume 30 years, the return is not, as we know, it's not going to be the same every year. Sometimes it might, your market might fall dramatically, it might start out really well, and your retirement experience in terms of your spending Will, will very much be influenced by the returns from year to year and how they vary. So the safe max assumes a 50% allocation to stocks, 50% to bonds, and it's the starting spending rate. And so by safe max, what is the spending rate the first year? What's that dollar amount? And then you adjust the dollar amount each year by the rate of inflation. And so in his analysis he came up with 4.15% for U.S.-based investors. That was the the safe max, the the most that could be spent and still have survived retirement with the the worst 30-year periods worth of returns. And those would have been retirees that retired in 1966. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tecovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. Now, one of the Money for the Rest of the Hub members, listener to the show, Josh Carlton, sent me a really fascinating article by Wade Faw, P-H-A-U. 
And he updated a study he did a number of years ago on the, the using this, this safe withdrawal rate, the safe max, the maximum of sustainable withdrawal rate. But he updated from data from 1900 through 2015. And more importantly, he did it for different countries. The original study by Bill Bengen was only for U.S.-based investors. But just like with the show, we have investors all over the world. What is the maximum sustainable withdrawal rate if you're based in Japan or in Australia? Well, he did that analysis. Again, he used 50% stocks, 50% bonds. And what he found is in the U.S., the safe max, the maximum withdrawal is 3.94% in order to never run out of money. If you spent 4%, a little more than that, 2.3% 2.3% of the time, there was a failure over a 30-year period of time. That, that's not too bad. 39% of the time, retirees would have run out of money if they had spent 5% in the first year. Calculate the dollar amount and, again, adjust for inflation. Obviously, in the later years, if you're doing that calculation and you're adjusting the dollar amount by the rate of inflation, let's say 10 years in retirement, your spending rate is going to be much higher than 4 or 5% as a percent of your remaining nest egg. But when we talk about spending rates, we're talking about what is the first year spending rate. So Canada was a little better, about 3.96%. But here's what is, what's astounding. He did the analysis, the same analysis for 22 countries. Half of them had a safe max or a sustainable spending rate of th- less than 3%. If you lived in Japan... was the maximum sustainable withdrawal rate. 36% of the time, at a 4% spending rate, retirees would have run out of money. 43% of the time with 5% rate. The worst country at all, even worse than Japan, was Austria. But back in episode 85, we did an episode called Are You Home Country Biased? And we talked about why... You shouldn't have all your investments in one country. So it should be diversified globally. So what if you were? What if you invested in a world portfolio, such as the MSCI All Country World Index? So you have 50% there, 50% in bonds. What is the maximum sustainable withdrawal rate? 3.45% according to this study by Wade Faw. And again, I'll link to it in the show notes and you can, you can look, at, look at the table for all the countries. So if you're in the world portfolio, so all, both U.S. and non-U.S., 3.45% sustainable spending rate in the first year of retirement. If you spent 14, 4%, 15% of the time, you would have run out of money during retirement. And if you spend 5%, 56% of the time, you would have run out of money. If we exclude the U.S. and just invest outside the U.S. and don't invest in the U.S. at all, the, the maximum sustainable withdrawal rate is Okay, I stopped recording because I I just couldn't stand it. I had to see what old old Betsy was. It's the rifle, and I I should have known that's a little embarrassing. One advantage of a solo show, you can stop, take a break, and then begin recording again. So what's our takeaway from these spending rates? One, just essentially, as retirees, we're not going to necessarily be able to start out at a 4% spending rate, especially if you run a diversified portfolio. On the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, there's some model portfolios out there. And and the returns are sort of 
5 to 6%. If you run a, a globally diversified portfolio with the way the, the determinant of your sequence of return risk are the starting conditions. And starting conditions are not terribly attractive to suggest 4% type spending rate is sustainable. I got a, an email this week from Steve, a listener. And he says, so you've probably addressed it, but I forget. How can we retirees buy bonds knowing bonds become more valuable when interest rates go lower, but that rates are at or near zero? And then the correlated question is, how can we retirees buy stocks when they appear to be overpriced and even in good times are volatile? That's a tough choice. Bonds, the, the best estimate of a future return on an annualized basis over a 7 to 10 years for bonds is the current yield to maturity. So for global bonds, that's, that's less than 2%. For stocks, we've talked about the driver of returns for stocks. It's the starting conditions. It's the dividend yield. It's an estimate for what earnings growth will be which which generally is is influenced over the long term by the growth of the economy. And then we need to look at what are valuations. When valuations are very, very high, then we need to have lower expectations for stocks because there's a chance that they're going to be repriced in 10 to 15 years from now. And you combine that all together, we're sort of, I think, a reasonable return assumption for a public portfolio is five to six percent. If you're a more aggressive investor, maybe it's it's six and a half percent. But but that that's about it. And so choices are perhaps do more on the private side. Perhaps you have rental real estate. I was on. Uh, I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and we, we were talking about rental real estate. One advantage of very, very low interest rates is the ability to lock in a 30-year mortgage on a rental real estate property, and then you're paying back that mortgage with inflation-adjusted dollars. Ideally, you can raise rents if inflation goes up, and that can generate a return well above 6%, hopefully double-digit type return. That can certainly help, but it takes work to build out a portfolio. But that's one option. It's been four years since I, quote unquote, said I retired and quit my job. And what have I learned in four years is you just have to take it year by year. We can't fathom a 20-year, 30-year, 40-year retirement. It's very, very difficult. And so one benefit of having an income, which I now have, I did not have when when I first retired, but, but I've worked, I've launched the podcast, launched the hub, doing other things, just because it puts less stress on my retirement portfolio. I don't have to worry so much about generating the return. I still work hard at it, but it's less stress. And most investors are going to have to, or retirees are going to have to work some in retirement, simply for peace of mind, because it's just, it's just less stressful knowing there is some income coming in. And then you have to take it year by year. You just have to, we're worried about sequence of returns risk. So we have to see what, what were the returns this year? What were the conditions? And perhaps adjust our spending 
based on how it's going in terms of retirement. It's certainly something that we're looking to do as we budget in my family and most investors will need to do. And we have to maintain our health. I saw a study recently in, in Nautilus magazine, and I'll link to it. I don't, I don't have it right in front of me, but it talked about how life expectancies are increasing. But they, they broke it down in an interesting way because they talked about it's not enough for your, your, your life expectancies to increase, but the issue is how much of that increase are you healthy and not suffering, suffering from a debilitating illness or malady. And, and I believe the statistic was typically the last eight to nine years of someone's life, they're, they're, they're sick in some form. Hopefully they're getting by, but it, it's just, it's not easy. And so we, we have to kind of factor in the added health cost as we get get older and make decisions now when we're in our 30s or 40s or 50s. Try to put those habits in place so that we can be more healthy, be more mobile, and able to work in the early years uh, of our retirement age so that it's just less stressful. That's our episode for the day. Shorter episode and one another advantage of having your own solo show is you can you can adjust the time when you run out of stuff to say, you stop talking and stop recording. Show notes again are at moneyfortherestofus.net. If you would like some additional help as you prepare for retirement, if you are retired in terms of overseeing your investments, you can get that at the moneyfortherestofushub.com. It's a premium membership site we've been running for just over 18 months. It's the tools I use to manage my own retirement portfolio. We have over 400 members that do the same thing, either asset allocation tools, model portfolios, getting their questions answered in the forum or in the weekly Money for the Rest of Us Plus episode. One of the new things that we added this week, based on feedback from Hub members, many who retired or contemplating retirement or preparing for retirement, is how do I manage in terms of I got a tax-deferred account, I have my spouse's tax-deferred account, we have taxable accounts, we have other accounts. Do we have the same holdings in every account or do we, do we split them up somehow? And there's not a right answer to that. So we're putting together a framework that will be released this week. What are some of the considerations for deciding that? So that's an implementation issue and just one of the many topics we cover on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. And you can, again, you get more information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.